is revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? It's the rhythm of a gospel song. What you choose it? clapping on your cars or you can blow your horn there we go here we go clap your hands and stomp your feet till you find that gospel beat cause he's all you'll ever need all you'll ever need clap your hands and stomp your feet till you find that gospel beat cause he's all you'll ever need all you'll ever need I got an old church choir singing in my soul. I got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful. I got an old church choir singing in my soul. I got a sweet salvation. It's beautiful. I got a heart overflowing. Cause been restored. There ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. No, there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. Oh, praise offering. You know, we're serving an awesome and amazing God. He's good to us, even when we don't deserve it. Better than any father we could ever have. You know this song, Good, Good Father. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like but I've heard tender whispers of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are by you it's who I am it's who I am it's 
you have a good, good father.
God, we thank you that you're greater than anything we could ever imagine, that you're greater than any sickness, greater than any disease, greater than any frustration, any failure. God, anything that's going on in our lives or in this world today, you are greater than all. We thank you that you are a holy God who loves us in spite of who we are, that you care for us, and God, that you come seeking after us in all that we've done and all that we've, we do, Lord, that you come, that you come to us when we can't come to you. Father, I pray thanks for this day. It's a beautiful day that you've made, and we want to rejoice and be glad in it. God, I pray that our worship has been pleasing to you as we have exalted the name of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, I ask that you would draw us unto yourself as we open up your word, that you would speak truth to us, and God, that you would be lifted up and high and exalted. Father, I pray now that everything that we do from this point forward and everything that we've done has been in accordance to your will. Lord, I pray that you change hearts and lives, that you start with mine. God, if there's anyone today who doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, God, I ask for them to come to you in faith and be saved. And, and Lord, I know that your word is true in Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 13, where you say that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, there are many, 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 many who need to call on you, and I pray, God, that they do before it's everlastingly too late. Now, Lord, speak to us. And may we give glory and honor to you in all that we have done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to see each and every one of you here. Uh, Facebook Live, I can't see y'all, but I'm sure y'all are beautiful. And good to have you with us and being a part. Um, we live in a day and age where it seems like things are replaceable. You know, have you, have you ever seen or ever had something that was valuable to you that you lost? Typically, if we have something of value that we lose, we go to... Uh, great extremes to go and find that which was lost. We may tear the house upside down or we may call friends and neighbors or we may do a lot of different things to try to find that thing which was of value that is lost. <clears throat> I was a poor guy and still am uh, and I bought my wife the best that I could whenever I proposed to her. She's grinning. But I, didn't, I couldn't afford a whole lot. But I gave basically everything that was in my savings account at that point in time. <clears throat> I drew it out and bought her a diamond, and it was in a ring set, and I gave it to her, and we got married, and it was amazing. You know, wonderful. Life's been great for 24 years, right, honey? It's been a no, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. Everything's been just smooth sailing. I mean, it's been the peaceful Sea of Galilee. Uh, I'm just kidding. So um, if you know me, you know better than that. But the amazing thing is, Somewhere along the, the part of early part of our marriage, not one time, but two times, my wife lost the diamond out of the set of our engagement ring. She didn't tell me about it both times. She did one time, but not the second time. And she lost it, and I didn't know anything about it. You know, I don't pay attention to gifts that I give people. 
But it's amazing how that each time as she was looking and as she was searching and as she was seeking, and I don't know if she was praying so much for it, but she was able to find that diamond both times in some crazy places. It just didn't make any sense. It was definitely a thing of God. And if we have things of value that we lose, we go to great extents and great um, resources to go and find that which is lost. You know, we live, again, in a day where things are replaceable. It never fails to be true, especially when I am busy about a project. As I was uh, putting up a light, I think it was this week, I put a light up this week, and I was looking for some self-tapping screws. Now, I know that I have self-tapping screws somewhere in my house, but if you've been to my house, um, it's not easy to find everything because... Uh, I'll move it one place, and Heather will come back and move it another place. And then if Hope moves it, God only knows where it's going to be at because it's it's left anywhere and everywhere. Uh, that's just kind of the way it goes with her. She can use something of yours, and you'll see it out there. And like that's not where that was supposed to be. Well, that's where I finished with it, and that's the way it happens. And as I was putting up this slide, I was looking for some self-tapping screws that I knew that I needed, and I knew that I had. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked through bags and I looked through everything. I looked through every kind of screw that we thought we had in the house. And guess what? I couldn't find them. So I hop in my truck and I go to Lowe's and I buy some screws and I put everything up and the light's working great and everything's going good. And then, you know, you got your cleanup, you bring your tools and you put them where you're supposed to be, where the, you know where they are and all that sort of thing. And right as I took back those self-tapping screws, it's kind of an amazing thing. In a bag that I didn't look in, there were some screws. It wasn't many, but there were some screws in there with self-tapping screws. They wouldn't have worked, but I knew that I had them. Does that make sense? And so I just thought, you know, it's, I know that I've got them, and it's useful for me, but it's easier to just replace that. And, and that normally happens in our lives. Uh, I'm sure that most everyone listening today, whether you be Facebook or you're here in the parking lot, you have a drunk, junk drawer. Anybody have that precious junk drawer? Lots of times that, that exists often in your kitchen, or at least that's where ours is. And, you know, it's that drawer that you can pull open and it's got batteries from the 1970s, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And there's everything from twisty ties to, you know, paper clips to staples to glue that's already hardened in the bottle. I mean, I could go on and on with the list of things. Your drawer is probably much like mine. It's got all these things in it. And then there's also maybe a few necessary items like some scissors, possibly some stamps, or, or you know, I don't know, whatever is needed that you know that if I put it in the junk drawer, I can open up the drawer. There's always that key. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That key? Y'all know that key. You don't know what it goes to, but that key's in there. It's always in the drawer. You're like, what in the world? That looks like it fit, but it don't work for anything. But, boy, you've had that thing. Since the beginning of time for you. And so it's always there. I mean, it could be cassette tapes and anything and everything. But we have that junk drawer and we go to it knowing that there's something in there that may have value to it. And then again, there's something in there that may not have value. But I'm not going to throw away throw it away because I might need it someday. I'm reminded of my grandparents growing up. They so held on to things and cherished things that they had. I can remember them using aluminum foil. And taking that aluminum foil and washing it and folding it up and, and using it again and again. And if it was a paper towel or a napkin that was gently used, maybe it had a loaf of bread on it and there was some crumbs, they'd wipe the crumbs off and they'd put it back up. Anybody know where I'm going with it? They would take plastic cups and styrofoam cups that you would drink out of. Instead of discarding them in the trash can, they would take them and put them in the sink and wash them and use them the next week and the next week and the next week. They understood the value of things. We may be coming to that later on in our future, that we need to understand the value of things, that things that are lost are not always replaceable. You see, 
Um, Jesus talked a lot about lost things. And if you have your Bibles, you're going to turn me to Luke chapter 15 to passage of Scripture that I know that you're going to be familiar with. And Jesus was talking about three lost things, and we're going to look at two of them, and then I'm going to briefly hit on the third one. Um, but the amazing thing is, whether it be a sheep, whether it be a coin, or whether it be a person, things of value, when they're lost, we need to go to every extreme to find them, to be able to go and realize that these things are not replaceable. And the human soul is irreplaceable to Jesus Christ, so much so, so that he exchanged his own very life for you. And so if you're here and you think you have no value, if you're listening via Facebook and you think, you know what, I'm not worth anything, maybe my life would be better off if it didn't exist. Let me just tell you something. Your life is precious to Jesus, so precious that he went to an old rugged cross and he shed his blood and he gave his life in exchange for you so that your, your life is the most valuable thing to him. And so don't think that you're of no value. And so here in Luke chapter 15, we see Jesus and we see some cool things getting ready to happen. He's getting ready to share a parable. And in Luke 15, starting in verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. In verse number 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. And likewise, I say to you, there is more joy in the presence of the angel of God over one sinner who repents. And the next story, I'm just going to talk about it briefly, was about two sons. One son came and said, Father, I want all my stuff. I want my inheritance. I want to go live my way. And the father said, okay, here's your portion. And he went and he spent it on righteous living, doing whatever he wanted to. And the father said, you go and do whatever you want to with it. It's yours. And he wasted his living. He wasted it away. And then he became in want. He became hungry. He was in a land where, where there was poverty. And thought to himself, man, how many of my father's higher hands not have it better than I do? He ended up, he was a Jewish boy, and he ended up feeding pigs, an unclean animal. Then he thought to himself, I'll go to my father and I'll tell him, look, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the amazing thing is the son was going back home. The father was coming looking for him every day and he saw him a far ways off and took off and he ran after him and he fell down on his neck and he hugged him and he loved him. And he rejoiced and he made merry and he killed the fatted calf because his son which was lost was now found and alive again. Father, thank you for the truth of the reading of your word. Speak to us now through it in a powerful way. God, that we would understand the value of the lost. And, Lord, that you'll help us to, to be able to grow in you. Lord, I pray you hide me behind the cross now. And, Father, that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O God. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. 
Amen. There's three things I want you to look at carefully in this passage of Scripture in these first ten verses. The first thing is I want you to look at the company of Jesus. I want you to look at the people that Jesus hung out with. I want you to look at the people who came up to him. Uh, the Bible says that all the tax collectors, it says all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near him to hear him. Now what kind of company do we, do we keep as the church? What kind of people hang out with us? Are we afraid of lost people because they're so different or because we're so afraid that we're going to be entangled and we're going to be drawn back into that way of life? And I would say for you, if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ and you were a former alcoholic, you probably don't need to go to the bars. If you're a former drug addict, you probably need to wait away from your friends. If you're a person who struggled with pornography and sexual sin, you probably don't need to be looking at your computer and your cell phone very much. If you have an issue with lying, then you probably ought to keep your mouth shut. You probably don't need to put yourself in those situations if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ. But why is it that maybe we don't want to venture into the area of reaching lost people or being around lost people? The amazing thing here is the lost people came to congregate themselves around Jesus because they wanted to hear what he had to say. How many lost people want to congregate them, themselves around you because they're looking at your life and they know that there's something different and they know that there's hope there and they want what you have. They're just afraid to ask for it. You see, Jesus had a gathering of people that a lot of people would shun away from, a lot of people would shy away from, but he had the message of hope. He had the message of, of life. He had the message of a changed life. He had the message of heaven. And so lost people... And tax collectors, they drew near him because they wanted to know what it was to have the kind of life that he had. They wanted to know what this eternal life was all about. They wanted to know what the kingdom of God was all about. I wonder if people don't come around us because we call ourselves believers, but yet we're afraid to live it in front of people. We talk about everything else in our conversations, in the way that we live our lives. When we're around them, we become that chameleon Christian that blends in and participates in all the junk that they do. If it's people who we used to party with, we party with them when we're around them. If it's people that change our language, then we change our language when we're around them. We change our attitude. Everything about us changes because the company that we're with, rather than being a person that goes in and changes that company, we're the one that's changed by it. You see, I think there's two types of Christians. I think there's the, the, the Christians that are the thermometers and there's the Christians that are the thermostats. And I, I, I'm afraid that the church has too many thermometer Christians. What does that mean? Well, both of them impact the area around them or are impacted by the area around them. You see, a thermometer Christian is one when they get into the presence of other people, they're changed by the other people. Just like a thermometer, when it's brought out here in the weather, it's going to either rise or drop depending on how cold or how hot it is. The influence of the outward appearances and things around it causes that thermometer to fluctuate and change. Likewise, or on the other hand, on the other hand, a thermostat's just the opposite. A thermostat controls the environment. You can take a thermostat, you set it on 70 degrees, and guess what? It's going to keep things 70 degrees around it. It doesn't matter what comes in with present. It doesn't matter if it's brought before a bunch of dry ice and liquid nitrogen. Guess what? It's going to stay 70 degrees, and it's going to work its tail off to keep everything around at 70 degrees. 
If it's in, a, in an opportunity where the sun's shining on and it's 80 or 90 degrees and you've got that thing programmed at 70 degrees, hot or cold, and it's going to reduce the air temperature in that room until it's 70 degrees. And we need to be thermostat Christians who change and impact the world around us rather than being impacted by the world around us. That's what Jesus was. People were drawn to him because they were changed by him. But now let me just show you what the church people were. The church people there in verse number 2, it says, and the Pharisees, that's the, the church people, and the scribes, the ones who wrote out the things that the Pharisees said in the, the books of the Bible, they complained. They complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. Could you imagine you being in the wrong company, the wrong people, and religious people, your church people. Look, man, I know there's something wrong, and look at who they're hanging out with. But yet they don't know that the people that you're hanging out with, maybe you have had an impact and an influence on them and their lives have been eternally changed because of your witness. I'm not telling you to hang out with your lost friends and become lost, no, and act like a lost person or look like a lost person. I don't want that. God doesn't want that. But I think we should hang out with our lost friends so that they could see the change that Jesus Christ made in our life. And I don't think we as a church need to go around pointing a finger at somebody who may be hanging around with lost people until we know the situation and the circumstance as to why they're hanging out with that company. It's real easy to point a finger and say, oh, there they go again. I can't believe it. they're going down that road. They're going to make the same mistakes. They're going to fail. And all the while, they may be building a relationship in which the world or the lost person sees Jesus in them. They want to share Jesus with them. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Jesus was there doing the right thing, and the church was sitting there complaining about it. How many times do we complain about the good things? How many times do we complain about people going out and visitation and bringing lost people? How many times do we complain about seeing new people in our churches because, you know what, now they're going to take some power away from me. Now they're going to take some position away from me. They don't look like I do. They don't dress like I do. Why are they here? And we have all these questions, yet we have yet to get to know those individuals and know that Jesus Christ loved them as much as he did us, and he died on an old rugged cross for them just like he did us. And we're no better than they are but if we're not careful we'll become the, the scribes and the pharisees and we'll complain listen to me very carefully the scribes and pharisees were lost they were lost and in their self-righteousness they wanted to think they were something in somebody but they were lost they didn't know jesus they were against jesus in every way shape or form because it was going to take away their power and the prestige so i hope you see the company of jesus but then i want you to look at the message of jesus the message of Jesus. There's a cool thing right here. He talks about sheep and he talks about a coin. What an amazing thing. Sheep and coins. And a shepherd, he had a hundred sheep. You're thinking a hundred sheep. He loses one. What's the big deal with one sheep? Man, it's just one. He's still got 99. He's still got a lot of sheep. Well, maybe we have to understand the culture just a little bit. You see, in first century Palestine, if you were a shepherd and you had baby sheep that were born, most of the time you brought those babies, those, those ewe lambs and, and those you brought them into your house and you raised them for about the first 14 and sometimes even up from 14 days, maybe even to six weeks, you'd raise them in your home. It would be like having a, a pet. I mean, they were the domesticated animals of the day. We have dogs and cats. They had sheep. If you remember anything about Passover, they were to go find a lamb and bring it in the house and raise it and take care of it. It had to be a lamb with no blemish, and, and it became their friend. It became their pet. 
and sheep are dumb. Well, they'll follow you around, and they're the most loyal. They'll just sit there, and they'll lick you. And all of a sudden, at Passover, they had to slaughter that lamb. They had to put the blood on the doorpost so the death angel would pass over. And here's the shepherd. He's got nine, He's got 100 sheep, 99 of them he knows, but one's missing. And he goes out of his way to go and find that one wherever it is. Man, if we lose a pet today, man, we post a picture of it all over Facebook. We'll take pictures of it and put it on stop signs and put it on poles. We'll put it in an ad in a newspaper. If you find my animal, if you find my dog, this is what he answers to. This is his name. This is, you know, if you'll bring it to me, I will give you a reward. That's how precious our pets are. That's how precious sheep were in first century Palestine. And the Bible says that he would go. The shepherd would go. It says in verse number four, and what man having a hundred sheep loses one does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that one which is lost until he finds it. He goes and he searches high and low. We sang a song, Reckless Love. It's the same picture of Jesus coming after us. He will go high. He'll go low. He'll go through thickets. He'll go through clear land. Whatever he needs to do to come and find you because he loves you. And you are that valuable to Jesus Christ. And here the shepherd is going everywhere to find it. And the Bible says, and when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. You see, lots of times what would happen is the wandering sheep would wander off. And for the shepherd to make sure that that sheep wouldn't wander anymore, he would take it and he would break one of its back legs. And he would break one of its back legs and he'd put it up on his shoulders and he would carry it home and then he would have to tend to it in his house until it got well again. And it would teach that sheep a lesson that, look, you don't want to wander off because he's going to break my leg. He loves me that much that he wants me with the fold. He doesn't want me out there wandering around where I could get taken by uh, either somebody who wanted to rob me or possibly by a wolf or something like that. That sheep would learn that the shepherd loves me and he cares for me. And so he carries it back and he rejoices and he goes to his friends and neighbors and said, man, rejoice with me. The sheep which was lost, I have found it. Listen to That word there is he's restored it. You see, when we come to know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, He restores us. He redeems us. He buys us off the auction block of sin, and He restores us. He gives us a right standing before a holy God. Not because we're anything special, but because we are a found sheep. And then the Bible says that likewise, I tell you, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 just people who don't need repentance. And then there's the, the story of the lost coin, the message of the lost coin. The coin had value. You know it had value. On the face of the coin, it told what the value of that, for, that coin was. If it was a denarii, it was a day's wage. Some of you right now, if you're out of work, you know what a day's wage is worth. You're like, boy, I'd like to be back at work because I need to make a few days' wage. You understand the importance and the value of that day's wage. And this woman, she had ten coins and lost one, and she went, the Bible says, and she lit a lamp, and she swept the house, and she searched carefully for it. Man, she, she hid a lamp, she lit a lamp so that she could go and she could look in the dark places, in the crooks and the crevices, wherever that coin could be that was lost. She understood the value of it. She needed to find it. She would sweep up the dusty places trying to find that coin, so much so that she would get on her hands and knees. That word search carefully is a Greek word which is like a detective. 
who's going out and finding whatever, looking meticulous at the evidence, trying to, to discover and to find what it is that's lost. And she went to great extent to find that one coin because, man, a day's wage meant something. How many of y'all can testify a day's wage means something right now? If you're not an essential worker in this, this, this day and age, you know what it's like to not have what you may need. And we can relate to that. And this woman, she searched carefully until she found it. And then when she found it, she went to her neighbors and to her friends and she gathered them together saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which was lost. You see, there's value in lost items. There's value in lost things. There's value in lost people. And she went and she found it. And Jesus said again, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, there's value in things that are lost being found. Jesus' message was simple. His message was simple. If there's something out there that's lost, I'm going to seek. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to go to great extents to find it, to redeem it, to restore it, to give it value and allow its value to shine. You see, then I want you to look finally at the value of the loss to Jesus. We see a sheep. We see a coin. They represent people. The shepherd and the woman represent Jesus in His rel relentless pursuit to seek and to save that which was lost. Why? Because the lost have value to Jesus. The lost have value to Jesus. If you don't remember what you were beforehand, remember who you are now. You see, I can remember the road in which I was on which led me nowhere fast. Pretty nasty, dirty, rotten person. Nothing good in me. But when I came to know Jesus Christ, not only did He save me, but He changed me. He took away my want to, gave me a desire to seek after Him, to follow Him, and to tell other people, look, Jesus loves you. And you're valuable to Him. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if your parents put you up for adoption. And they're not there and you've got lovely people that are raising you. I don't care if you've got parents who've raised you since birth and they th say that you're useless and you're no good. I don't care if you've got people in your life, maybe a husband or a wife that says, you know what, you're just of no value to me. I would like to exchange you. I don't have any value. Listen to me. You are valuable to Jesus Christ and you mean everything to Him. And don't listen to the lies of the world through other people because Satan's just using them. But listen to this. Jesus loves you. And He will go to extents to find you because He loves you. How many of you have ever said this? Why does God allow bad things to happen to the good people or God's people? Anybody ever said that? We say it all the time. There's a lot of people when I go and witness to them and say, man, Jesus loves you. I don't care what's going on in your life. He loves you in spite of who you are. And like, well, well, if God's really God and if Jesus really loves me, then why does He allow these, these things, these bad things to happen in people's lives that I know are good? Why do people get cancer? Why do babies die? I mean, these are, these are hard questions for me to answer, but I can always go to the Bible because the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wage or the payment of sin is death. Guess what? Death happens from the time I start sinning. I might not fall over dead immediately, but guess what? I've got death that happens. A baby, when it comes out of the womb, it starts losing skin cells. There's things that die. There's things that multiply. There's things that die. Why? Because it's born into a sin nature, into a fallen world. 
And Scripture is true. And we think that we're good people, and we think that we don't deserve anything bad to happen to us. Well, let me just share a few verses of Scripture with you if I can. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Did you hear that? There's none righteous, no, not one. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a preacher. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a wonderful singer, songwriter, and you're doing all these great and wonderful things for Lord God Almighty. There is nothing that you can do in and of yourself that is righteous. How do I know that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. Isaiah 64.6 says that my righteousness is as filthy rags. It's a stench to God. It's nasty. It's vomitous. And God can't stand it. On my best day, I can't please God in and of myself. But if I've been justified in Jesus Christ, then then God doesn't look at me. He sees the works of Jesus in my life. And when He sees the works of Jesus in my life, then good things happen. Why? God looks at me and says, He's righteous not because of what He's done. He's righteous because of what Jesus did. You see, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 20 tells us this. It says, We are all dust and we're going to return to dust. How many of you ever heard that at a funeral? Ash to ash to dust to dust. It's true. It's out of the Bible. It's, it's, it's real scripture. You see, we're dust. And we're all going to go back to the dust at some point in time. And then the Bible says in, in 2 Thessalonians that, guess what? God's people are going to rise again. He's going to call us out of the ground. He's going to call us out, those who are walking around. And He's going to give life to us like we've never had life before. But even in our dustiness, even in our lostness, even in our unrighteousness, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much, he, that's how much you're worth to God. That's how invaluable you are to God. I have a question for you. What's wrong with lost people? And what's wrong with church people? It's the same thing. We're a little dusty. We're a little dusty. You see, God's great love is greater than the dust in our lives. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, 9, if we will openly confess our sin to God, then He is going to be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that goes for the sinner and that goes for the saint. Many of us are walking around with a lot of dust built up because we've got unrepentant sin. We've got unconfessed sin. We've got so much going on in our lives that's a mess. And we need to come and fall on our face before a holy God and say, God, I'm trusting your word to be true. You tell me that if I confess, that if I agree with you, that my sin is wrong, that my sin put you on an oregon cross, that my sin will lead me to hell except through a relationship in Jesus Christ. You took my sin there. God, I'm coming. I'm confessing right now. You promised to be faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Lord, do that, will you? You see, the same prayer for the sinner, the same prayer for the saint, God hears it. God will clean us up. God's looking for the church to repent, and He's looking for lost people to repent and come to know Him so that their life can be redeemed, so that they can be restored, so that they can be given to God. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Do you despise the riches of His goodness, the forbearance, and the long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. 
You see, God in His goodness, He gives us life. God in His goodness, He gives us breath. God in His goodness, He gives us jobs that we have. He brings us into right relationships. In His kindness, He has mercies that are new to us every morning because guess what? We all deserve hell, and He doesn't give us hell right now. He gives us a chance each and every day if we don't know Him to come to know Him. And for those of us who know Him and we're living outside of His will, He gives us a chance to come and to repent and to confess and be made right. Why? Because He's kind and He's patient. And His patience and His kindness and His goodness leads us to repentance. My question for us today, are we caught in the middle of faith that we caught in the middle of sin? Are we caught in the middle of the faith that we're living and we're going to stand up for Jesus Christ? Are we caught in the middle of our sin which is condemning us? We know that it's wrong and yet we want to hold on to it because it's an easy way of life. Or so we think. In Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21, Jeremiah cried out and he said, Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored or we will be turned. God, if you'll turn us, We'll be turned. When I repent, it's something that God does, not something that I do. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. That's something God does. The old's passed away and all things are made new. If God turns us, we'll be restored. We'll be turned. People who try to maintain righteousness and people who need righteousness both need Jesus. Some are listening today in this parking lot or via Facebook. And you need to be shaken. You need to be shaken out of your false security of a walk with Jesus Christ, which you know is a lie. You know you've never confessed. You know you've never been changed by Him. Oh, you know all the right words to say. You know all the pretty things to do. You know how to live right in front of certain people, but you also know how to live wrong in front of others. Because the heart's never been changed by God. And you need to be shaken out of that and you need to come and you need to repent and be saved. You see, people are valuable. Sheep and coins are valuable. If we were to lose a sheep or if we were to lose a coin, if we were to lose something valuable to us, we would search high and low to find it. My question for the church is why do we settle for lost people? Why don't we search high and low to find lost friends and lost neighbors and tell them about Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late? Have we become so apathetic that we're just, thank you, Lord, that I'm saved. I'm sorry about everybody else. Because I'm afraid if that's our attitude, then we're probably like the Laodicea in church in Revelation chapter 3. We're a stench. We're vomitous to God, and He just wants to spew us out because we're not hot and we're not cold. In Luke 15, 31, the Bible says, that's in chapter 15, this is the good son. This is what Jesus said, talking about the son that was lost. He said, and he said to his son, which was always with me, and all that I have is yours, but it was right for me to make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, some of us get upset when we see lost people come to Jesus. and We should rejoice because there is a party going on in heaven every time that Jesus saves a soul. We ought to be excited to see people bow their head and cry out to God, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. I'm a wretch. I'm nothing. We ought to be excited when church people who believers in Jesus Christ who have fallen into sin come and repent and say, Lord, forgive me for my sin where I have found you. Come and save. Come and change. Come and make me what you would have me to be.
But no, so many times we sit back and say, well, it's about time they came. Oh, that's real. No, it's not. It's fake. It's just put on. Let's see how long that lasts. I'll tell you what, if they're doing it, it won't last long. But if God's doing it, it's eternal. It'll last forever. When God makes a change, I don't care how far hard you try to turn it back around, it won't be turned. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus' love for us and His grace was accomplished on an old rugged cross when He cried out, It is finished. Everything necessary for our salvation was completed on Calvary's cross. Have you cried out, Lord, I know I'm not worth anything. But I know that you exchanged your life for me. I know that you can make me invaluable. Not because I am somebody, but because I'm lost and I need you. Not because I am somebody, Lord, I'm your child and I'm wayward and I'm coming back home and I'm asking you to help me to repent. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to cleanse me. I'm asking you, Lord, to restore me. How valuable are lost people to us? They were extremely valuable to Jesus. He was willing to exchange his life for them. How dusty are you today, church? What are you holding on to? What are you trying to cover up? What's the dust that's there, the sin that's there that needs to be repented and needs to be confessed of? Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm going to be real with you. I made a mess of this life. I don't want you to make a message out of it. I promise you he will. Do you see people who were lost as valuable? Have you ever taken time to remember what God saved you from? That he saved you from yourself? He saved you from your sin? He saved you from hell? He saved you from what you deserve? You see, when we start realizing the value of things and what Jesus did for us, then we won't be complacent. We won't be satisfied. And we won't forget how amazing it was that Jesus just threw down his guard and came running after us to try to find us, to try to save us because he loved us that much. And now he's called us as the church to be his hands and feet to go and to win those that are lost. Believers should rejoice every day for their salvation And I can tell you this, there's a party going on in heaven every time a lost soul comes to know Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. I also believe there's a party going on in heaven every time a saved soul repents from the sin that they've got in their life. I believe God rejoices in us coming back to Him. So my question for us church today is this. Are we right Are we clean or are we dusty? And if we're dusty, are we willing to allow God to get the pledge and dust cloth out and to cleanse us? Because we're willing to come and we're willing to pray and we're willing to repent. We're willing to say, Lord, you know what? I got sin in my life. And I want you to cleanse me. Second question is this. Is there somebody that God has laid on your heart throughout this message that you know is lost? Somebody that you know does not know Jesus Christ that just God just threw their mind into your mind, their name into your mind, and you're sitting here thinking about them. What can I do for that person? I'll tell you what you can do. Don't wait another second. 
I guarantee you almost everybody here has got a cell phone. Take that cell phone out right now and start dialing that number and saying, you know what? God told me to call you and tell you that Jesus loves you and he died for you and I love you enough to tell you the truth because I want to see you in heaven. You see, when we're willing to put feet to our prayers, we can see God start doing some amazing things in our life. Church, that we need to get rid of the dust. Lost person, do you need to be found? Do you need Jesus? If you need Jesus, it's simple. You can cry out to him right where you are. God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died on an old rugged cross, shed his blood, and took my sin debt. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you right now to forgive me of my sin. I repent of the life that I've lived full of sin. I'm asking you to come into my heart and save me. Jesus, I believe that not only did you die, but you were buried and you rose again on the third day and you can give me life. I don't understand everything that I need to understand, but I know this. I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. And I need to be changed. And Jesus, if you'll do that, I'll give you my life. If you're a lost person, you cry that out. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're a saved person, you know you're a little dusty. You need to cry out to the Lord right now. Lord, your word's true. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe we need to come. Maybe we need to bow down right where we are. Maybe we need to kneel down. Maybe we need to even get out of our cars. And Yeah, that's going to go over well, right? I'm going to ask Hope to come play a little bit or something. And if God has spoken to your heart as the piano is being played, if you will, be obedient. If you need to talk to somebody, I'm not afraid of social distancing. I will keep my six feet, but I will tell you about Jesus. If you need somebody to pray with you, say, Preacher, will you pray with me? I'll come. I'll pray with you. Tell me what your need is. You see, church, it's time that we get undusty. It's time that we start getting concerned about lost people. It's time that we start getting concerned about our own nasty, dirty, filthy lives. And we don't become okay with sin in them. And allow the Lord to work in us and to use us to reach a lost and dying world. Hope as you begin to play. Father, I pray that you move in our hearts you challenge our lives. Lord, if we would be obedient to you right now as a church, that we would cry out, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the sin that's in my life. And Lord, that we would tell you what it is and we would ask you to forgive us. Lord, we, we know that you'll be faithful. We know that you're just and that you'll forgive us of our sin and you'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we know that you're true in that. So Father, I pray that you'd work in a powerful way that you'll help us to do just that. And Father, if there's any that are lost and don't know you, I pray, God, that they would cry out to you in a powerful way and say, Lord, I need to be saved. My life's a mess. It's a mess. God, will you come and save me? Don't understand everything, but I know that I need to be saved. Lord, and I know that you promise to hear your word. Promise to hear your prayers. Promise to change hearts and lives of those who call on you. Father, we thank you for loving us. 
Thank you for hearing our prayer today, God. Pray that you'd help us to value the loss the same way that you do. Lord, just have your will in your way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For those of you who are here, if you have any concerns, please let me know. If you have any questions, if you need prayer, let me know. If you need Jesus, definitely let me know. Don't leave today the same way you came. Those of you on Facebook Live, if you need Jesus, message me. Put something in the comments. Find us. Let us know what's going on. We love you. Jesus loves you, and we don't want to leave you in the state that you're in. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming and being a part today. I hope and pray that you have a wonderful, amazing week. I will be on Facebook Live Wednesday night sharing a message. Love for you to come into my living room with my family as we do a little praise and worship and we share from the Word of God. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. Good to see you, brother.